0: Someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like
1: much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyberterrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambinick.
2: Good morning. You've tuned in to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bamanak talking about cybersecurity issues, what you need to know about current events and news, and how to protect yourself, your business, and your family from criminals online trying to steal your identity and your money. Uh... Very briefly, you can find us online at CyberSecurityTodayRadio.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CyberSecRadio, Twitter at CyberSecRadio, and my personal Twitter account at Bambanek, and at email, John Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Broadcasting here from AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. We've got a great lineup here for you today. Uh, After the break, we're going to talk about charity fraud, online charity scams, what you need to know uh, to make sure that the money you give uh, to help uh, your fellow citizens out is actually going where it should be, that you're not falling prey to a scam. Uh, We're going to be talking about some other uh, cybersecurity hacking based on uh, some other cybersecurity hacking from nations, uh, Ethiopia and Pakistan. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, towards the end of the hour here. uh, We've talked a lot about Russia. China and some of the other uh, countries you think more typically of hacking, Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about off the beaten path. And, of course, as always, taking your questions on cybersecurity, what you need to know uh, and what you want to know uh, to protect your privacy online. If you have any questions, of course, uh, reach out to us online, uh, Facebook, Twitter, email, uh, however you wish to ask us questions, and we will answer some of them on the air. So a couple of news items that uh, that are in the headlines here to start off the hour. Uh, I'm sure many of you saw the Netflix ransom that the TV show Orange is the New Black uh, was leaked online as part of uh, a ransomware extortion attack against uh, Netflix. Actually, it was uh, Larson. Uh, Larson Studios that does a lot of video editing and post-production work for uh, Hollywood and uh, Orange is the New Black is a Netflix series so people kind of attribute it as something going against Netflix but uh, what this attacker did they breached Larson Studios uh, stole uh, among other things uh, the entire season of uh, upcoming season of Orange is the New Black said hey pay us a bunch of money, or we're going to put this stuff online. Uh, They typically go back and forth and try to raise the stakes with uh, their victims. I actually have a fair bit of media savvy, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment, but uh, they leaked uh, a season uh, of Orange is the New Black, and presumably they're still talking for more ransom, uh, or I should say uh, to actually get paid the ransom for the rest of the information that they haven't released yet. So Orange is uh, Orange Is the New Black, the TV show, I believe, uh, premieres uh, next month on Netflix. Obviously, you can download it online now if you like. Uh, some things to kind of keep in mind about this is uh, I'm sure many of you uh, have know or have heard, maybe you've gotten it yourself, ransomware attack that encrypts your files, requires you to get Bitcoin to to retrieve it. Uh, when we talk about security and criminals online, really what we're talking about is an organized criminal criminal enterprise, right? These are people who understand the value of the data they're taking. Sometimes they're targeting consumers uh, to get, I think the average ransom is around $1,000 now uh, for documents and uh, images, pictures, uh, movies, whatever you happen to have on your computer. For students, it might be uh, your term papers or midterms or uh, we're coming up on final season now. They also target a lot of other institutions, and its it's getting to be a broad list. You may have seen uh, healthcare institutions, hospitals and like, getting attacked with ransomware. Uh, they certainly have lots of data that's very essential, life and death uh, material that they're holding on. But uh, beyond that, right, you've got movie studios. Their core asset is the TV shows, the movies they produce. Uh, Leaking them online means if uh, people view and uh, watch them, that they're not paying Netflix and not paying somebody else. Uh, I'm sure many of you know the millions of dollars that actors get uh, doing this. I mean, there is big money and big dollar amounts involved. So uh, these studios like uh, Larson Studios have a lot of value in what they're protecting and criminals are stealing that. So they can get a big payday. So things to, to keep in mind. Every business uh, has its important information. It has its assets. Uh, there was a report. We're not going to talk about it on the show today, but showed uh, the increasing number of attacks of espionage against manufacturing uh, companies uh, and plants. Uh, even companies you don't think of high tech, high security needs have valuable information they're holding on to. So uh, video editing for TV, TV studios and movies, right? Those movies have large value. In uh, large dollar amounts, and criminals will take that, try to ransom it, uh, and demand large sums of money to avoid leaking it online. So, hopefully, it goes without saying you're not downloading this stuff online. Uh, if you are tempted to view these series and not get a Netflix account, you should also bear in mind that criminals will uh, put malware and computer viruses in these video files in an attempt to compromise you. So, if you wanted to get a head up on Orange is a New Black, uh, avoid going to BitTorrent and other file sharing services to download that because you don't know what else is being included with the video. That that you might not like uh, something else you may have seen in the news lately. Actually, something relevant to me because I'm going to be traveling here in the next month is uh, the laptop ban that uh, for eight uh, countries, predominantly in the Middle East. Uh, that if you're flying from there to the United States or to the UK, a few other places, that you have to check your laptop. Uh, You can't bring it out of the cabin. So anything larger than a phone, uh, they don't want you bringing on the plane with you. So obviously, the first question is for any of you who've traveled, and I'm sure that's a lot of you, uh, there is no real guarantees done of anything you check in there. The, The conventional wisdom is if you check a laptop, you're assuming the liability that they smash it or break it as it's being moved on conveyor belts and on carts and, you know, loaded into a plane. Uh, Some of these airlines, uh, you know, have done some accommodations and, and wrapped services around, oh, this is a laptop, we'll try to keep it safe. But it's led to a lot of consternation, right? And I don't know if I'm an entirely large supporter of the idea either Uh, It looks like the administration may be expanding the laptop ban for flights coming from the U.K. to the United States, uh, which is uh, actually it'll it'll affect me because I'm going to London uh, early next month uh, to speak on uh, election related hacking and uh, the French elections and the upcoming U.K. elections. So I've got to bring a laptop with me and I don't want to check it because, you know, there's no guarantee I'll get it back in one piece. So how I'm dealing with that problem is simply just traveling with a USB thumb drive with my presentation, having uh, my coworkers who work in the UK have a laptop for me uh, when I'm there, so I've got something to present off of. Uh, I'll have be able to communicate enough with my phone via phone calls and texts uh, and, and checking email, uh, but I'm not even bringing a laptop with me at this point uh, because I don't want to deal with that hassle. What spawned all of this uh, is uh, what are, you know, People have relayed us as eminent threats, uh, you know, by intelligence agencies that ISIS and related groups have figured out a way to... Uh make a relatively undetectable laptop bomb that could blow up inside the cabin of a pressurized aircraft and obviously cause a a whole lot of difficulty. So they've just preemptively banned that stuff uh, on all flights from those countries, but that ban is expanding, as I mentioned earlier, to the UK. If this is actually true, that uh, there is a way to craft uh, a laptop and scoop out the guts of it and put explosives in it in a way that makes it look like it's a normal laptop going through the X-ray at TSA or whatever agency is, is dealing with in other countries, then there's nothing really keeping these people getting on trains, uh, buses, wherever, and then flying to the U.S. or to another country, uh, you know, from a different destination, not those eight. And it looks like this laptop ban uh, may be here to stay for a while. Uh, and like I said, it's only expanding. And, you know, if this is true, if this intelligence is true, then... Uh, As much as it's inconvenient, that probably means just on purely domestic flights in the U.S. uh, that they're going to have to start thinking about this. Um, More on that as it develops. Uh, Coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Charity Navigator. Uh, It's a site that provides some accountability and visibility to charities in the United States. Uh, They have some great resources generally, but we're going to talk about online charity fraud and what you need to do uh, to keep your donations safe, making sure it really goes to the people you think it's going to uh, and protect uh, the integrity of that donation. So stay tuned. Some great information coming up. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambina.
1: This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambenek. You're listening to John
2: Bambenek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Bambenek. Moving on ahead, our next topic that we're going to discuss here is online giving and charity uh, and, and the various scams and things you need to know to make sure that your generosity is going to the people uh, that need it, that you're not getting tricked online. So joining us is Sandra Minuti from Charity Navigator. Uh, charity Navigator is uh, an online service uh, that helps provide uh, potential donors with lots of information uh, about charity to make sure that uh, uh, their donations will be used uh, in the way that they want them to be used. So thank you for joining us, Sandra. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit more about uh, Charity Navigator, Uh, what kind of services that you provide and how you help donors.
3: So if you can believe it, there are 1 million charities in America today. It's the Mm -hmm. largest philanthropic sector in the history of mankind. Um, But that means there's lots of charities out there asking for support all the time. Um, So we have a page of information for all 1 million charities, and then we provide a rating analysis for Mm -hmm. about –
2: 8500 of them. Okay. No, no, that's excellent. I was I was perusing the site earlier this week uh, uh, seeing how mine my uh, the charity that I run is rated and uh, seeing some other stuff that I've uh, interacted with over the time it's a it's a great service uh, that people uh, should be availing themselves of if they are uh, you know generous and, and want to give of their time uh, time and money to organizations so let's talk about uh, kind of online giving uh, and some of the things that you're seeing so what what should people keep in mind when they're donating to organizations online and what are things they should be looking for to prevent being scared
3: I think the most important thing is to take a deep breath and not to give in the heat of the moment. I think when donors make mistakes, it's often because they're leading entirely with their heart. Um, for example, they may be on social media and see a picture that's really inspiring them to want to make a difference in the world, and they click on that link and they insert their credit card or, or um, contact information, and then their identity has been stolen. So I think it's important to to be inspired by what you see on social media, but take the time to find the charity's um, legitimate website before you enter any personal or financial information and or go to a site like ours, we process online donations in a secure way. So I think that's the main thing when you 're perusing around online is to stop and think and make sure you know that you 're on the charity 's legitimate site and you 're not clicking through on a scam you know after <laughs> Hurricane Katrina hit mm-hmm. several years back, the FBI reported there was over four thousand bogus charity websites that popped up aiming mm-hmm. to steal people 's identity and money, Many of them um, were criminals that were located overseas so um, especially in times of crisis we need to kind of stop and think
2: no I think that's exactly right and I, I, I believe with Hurricane Katrina uh, and the Boston bombings actually I did I did yeah. some investigations in both and uh, which could take us far afield of this conversation but some very <laughs> interesting uh, characters show up and just uh, you know you can uh, find online services and, and look for domains registered by new keywords as they come up and uh, invariably, right? There's a tragedy, you know, right. in the United States or anywhere, and you know, a lot of domains pop up. Sometimes it's for law law firms, you know, trying to you know encourage lawsuits, and and some are just fake charity scams. Um, right. Uh, you bring up, right, things you're seeing on social media, uh, which reminds me, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, requests going on with GoFundMe and Indiegogo and some of these mm-hmm. crowdfunding things. I know uh, in this case it's a friend, so I know it's legit, but I got one uh, earlier today uh, for, for a friend in trouble. Uh, what do you think, you know, how can you do those kind of things safely? Uh, should you avoid them or, or are there things people need to keep in mind before uh, going to GoFundMe or Indiegogo or pick your crowdfunding? side of choice right
3: yeah those sites generally are fine for giving i know people often get caught up in worrying about the processing fees but most cases they're pretty reasonable they're keeping just a small fee to, to be able to keep the website going and the rest of those costs are really just the credit card processing costs Um, That aside, we did see some scams after the Boston bombing um, involving crowdfunding sites, and I think the important thing to keep in mind is to, given the situation like you described, when you know the victim is real and you know that person, you have some sort of connection to them, and be more weary and cautious when it's... um, a random appeal coming to you from somebody you don't know or in the situation after there's like a crisis as in Boston where people are creating bogus accounts. So I think many of these sites are getting more sophisticated and some of them are starting to partner with us to ensure that the organizations they're representing are legitimate. But most of the time, anybody can go on there and create a profile and they could Mm -hmm. run off with your money. So you really want to make sure you know who it is requesting funds before you give.
2: Right, yeah, no, I think that's certainly true, and I, I know a theme we've we've come on this show back in uh, several times and probably many times more is you know you could say who you know you are whoever you want to be on the internet. we don't really have any good tools to yeah uh, to verify identity really when it comes down to it is you know somebody can create a website and say you're John Bambanak and you're running a radio show or uh, any number of things, so yeah, I always try to to verify and, and the larger dollar amounts. Uh, you know, more, more scrutiny, uh, b- but, you know, for Boston bombing or, or things of that sort when there's major incidents, uh, st- probably stick with mainline charities of Red Cross and, and things of that sort, you know, are reputable is probably a safe thing to do. Odds are a charity isn't going to show up 24 hours after an incident, and it, I mean, it takes, what, uh, 18 months to get a 501c3? I don't know what the current backlog is. Well. I think it took, me, it took me almost two years to get mine uh, a decade ago.
3: Yeah, that, that, the IRS has changed that, unfortunately. Um, they fast track that now. So oh, okay. um, there's potential for more scams. I think there was, I believe, something like 90,000 new charities in the first year that they um, started mm-hmm. the easy application process. Um, so again, just the scope of the sector, it's you know, many charities are doing great work, but donors need to, you know, do their homework before they give because there are those bad apples out there. And, yeah, in times of crisis, you don't want to go with a brand-new charity. They don't have any experience. They don't even have stationery. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. very hard to imagine how effective they'll, they'll be. So definitely in times of crisis, we we recommend that donors avoid brand-new groups.
2: No, and I think that's that's excellent advice as well. Uh, anything else people should look out for or you think the, the listeners should know uh, when they're uh, giving online? Well, another
3: thing that annoys donors is that uh, you give a small donation to one charity and they sell or trade your name to another group and the next thing you know your email inbox is flooded with appeals from charities you've never heard of before or your actual postage mailbox is flooded. So one thing to do um, to help avoid that is check to see if the charity has a donor privacy policy before you give and make sure that you opt out of them sharing your information if that's what they require. Or another thing you can do is uh, donate through a site like ours, which enables you to give anonymously, and then the charity never has your contact information. Um, And that can be really beneficial to many people who don't want to get all those appeals.
2: Mm -hmm. And and how does that work in terms of the IRS? I guess do do you give the receipt and information that that the IRS will take for a tax deduction if it's anonymous? Yes. Okay.
3: Yes, we, it, we, have, we work with an organization called Network for Good, and they've been around for 15-plus years. Um, they were started by Yahoo and a, a bunch of tech firms to allow donors to safely give to any charity in America. So they act as a donor-advised fund. So your donation is going to them, you get a tax receipt, and then they pass on the money anonymously.
2: Okay. No, oh, that's good information. Uh, so we're coming up to the uh, end of our segment here. Uh, you've been listening to Sandra Minuti from Charity Navigator. Uh, CharityNavigator.com is their website. Go check it out if uh, you want to start verifying information about uh, the charities you're donating to. Uh, So thank you for joining us today, Sandra.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Uh, You've been listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. After the break, we're going to be talking about uh, privacy and just protecting your privacy generally and a little bit about an upcoming movie called The Circle. So stay tuned for more.
1: Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambaneck will be right back. You're listening to John Bambaneck, the most trusted name in cybersecurity.
2: And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Bambaneck. Uh, before the break, we were talking to Sandra Minuti of Charity Navigator. Uh, her website is charitynavigator.com. includes a lot of great information on uh, charities, uh, not just ones you donate like to online. But uh, other more uh, more conventional information, how they're spending their money, uh, whether uh, most of that's making it in the hands of people who need it or there's overhead expenses, so on and so forth. A lot of great information on that website uh, for those of you who are philanthropically minded. So just a couple of aspects of that uh, interview uh, that have some broad applications, right? Online, uh, anybody can claim to be anybody else, right? I can create an email address that says I'm Donald Trump, Uh, you know, create Wikipedia entries, do a lot of this stuff. And people do engage in that kind of behavior to get you to give them money. Sometimes it's charity, sometimes it's bank account information, sometimes it's somebody sending you uh, an email to your Gmail account asking you to reset your passwords. Uh, So it's always important to scrutinize what you're seeing. Uh, a lot of people uh, involved in charitable giving and uh, fundraising, right? They, they do play on your emotions. But make sure you verify who you're talking to, that it's all uh, above board, uh, that the charity checks out. Uh, ideally, stick with things that you know and people you know and causes you know. Protect your computer. Run antivirus. Give me a systems display.
1: Protect your data.
2: It's all about the information. Protect your privacy. Privacy is a great concern to my customers. We're going to segue a little bit. Now it's time for our social media feature. Uh, It's where we answer your questions uh, that you have for cybersecurity and privacy. uh, You can ask them online at cybersecuritytodayradio.com. Email at johnbambenekradio, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio radio at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cybersecradio on Twitter at at CyberSecRadio and my personal Twitter account at Bambenek B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K. Um, the previous, uh, you know, interview, right, talking a lot about online giving and privacy and some of the list sales that go on, which is a great segue into this particular question. Um, many of you have seen the movie uh, The Circle, a new movie with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson uh, that'll be in theaters now or shortly about a big social media company, tech uh, company in the Silicon Valley. uh, The premise of collecting all the data on everyone, there's no one should have any privacy. uh, And all this information should be uh, accessible, right? Uh, Ties into what I don't know a lot of people really understand uh, about our internet connected age, right? Uh, All the crime that we see, uh, and, and some of the bad behavior, all of those have physical equivalents for the most part. One of the biggest differences, right? Uh, uh, Now that everything's online, and there's all these electronic services is the amount of data that's created about people. Right. So the question was, right, uh, how realistic is a movie like The Circle, right? Uh, it's it's a movie. It's Hollywood. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of embellishment and, and things of that sort, uh, you know, but the premise and what it highlights, I think, is important. And that is the amount of data out there uh, that is collected and, and what that means for us as a society, right, as a uh As an investigator, right, this is very useful for me, is that, oh, there's email accounts that has a ton of information, and nobody really deletes email. Uh, Before there was Gmail, for those of you old enough who have been using email long enough, you'd have uh, the experience of mailbox quotas where, hey, you can only have so much in your email at a time of 50 mag or 100 mag, whatever. Now Google stores email forever, Uh, and most of it is accessible without a warrant if it's over 180 days old. So uh, a lot of information is had there. Uh, Facebook. I was just looking at Facebook earlier today. Uh, You know, there's the feature of people you may know. I'm just emailing casually, doing about my business. Uh, I don't really link things into my email to Facebook, but somebody I was emailing about. Something uh, is saying, "Oh, you might know this person." Shows up in Facebook. Uh, you may notice when you surf the web looking for certain things. Hey, you're you're on the an airline website planning a vacation, and the next you log into Facebook in your newsfeed, it might be some you know travel service or airline ad or something along those lines. There is a lot of tracking and profiling of individuals online. that stores just a ton. Uh, of information about you. Uh, generally speaking, uh, it's used to for ad targeting, right? You know, I know that uh, my product is appealing to people who make, uh, you know, over $100,000 a year, or 35 to 44 years old and have three kids, right? You can use that to say I want to target advertising towards them. Uh, there's a lot of other details. I mean, we fill out a lot of information on Facebook profiles. Hey, you know, I like the, you know, Pittsburgh uh, Steelers, uh, sausage pizza uh, and whatever. Uh, and you put that online and that can be used to, to create a profile about you, uh, and do some targeting. Uh, At some point, we'll try to have a guest on that talks about this, but there's a lot of interesting research using social media and uh, ISIS and uh, terrorist uh, radicalization, namely that, hey, uh, if we identify somebody who's got terrorist sympathies, okay, who's on their Facebook page? Who are they connected to? And then who are they connected to? And you can start creating, you know, relationship maps of who's talking to who, who's all involved in, uh, you know potential terrorist activity, and so on and so forth. As a security professional, you know, I've run into plenty of cases where that profiling is wrong. You know, it's important to to vet it and do other things with it instead of just acting on it alone. But there's just a huge amount of information out there that's generated from things that you give consent to that you might not realize for it. Uh, the first is you know, credit cards or, or even more appropriately like loyalty cards of grocery stores. Uh, the reason that they give you discounts for using those cards is that they are gathering, collecting your information and selling it to uh, clearing houses that keep all of this information about you. You know, when I ran, uh, I ran for state legislature five years ago uh, and had access to a lot of tools that says, okay, you know, not only who's registered to vote at what address, what party are they affiliated with. You know, I could drill down that if I wanted to spend the money on it, I could select likely voters based on the type of dish soap they buy. Uh, And all of that's available online and you give consent to it Uh, as it relates to the Internet, you know, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. Uh, Gmail, all of these services uh, that you don't pay for that either give you email with Gmail or social media with Facebook and Twitter or Instagram or, or or pick whatever. If you read in the terms of service and the privacy policy, you will see that they have the right to commercialize information about you. Uh, the, the expression I make is if you're not paying the company, you're not the customer, you're the product being sold. That's why all of these companies exist. Uh, You know Facebook has huge data centers and computers and lots of employees they've got to pay. Uh, They get that from monetizing your information. And in that sense, right, you're entirely in control. You can not use these services. You can guard what you put on these services. Uh, you can use some privacy tools to help reduce the scope of what they're doing. Uh, and certainly there's just a lot of ad tracking. You could be surfing the web, not really doing anything in terms of social media, uh, but these online ad services are tracking what websites you go to because that's useful information. Oh, I could say, hey, this person was just on uh, the United website. Maybe they're planning a vacation. So if there's a deal for a hotel, hotels could advertise to me, uh, things of that sort. So if you're concerned about that, right, the first thing to do is for all those services you use, read those terms of service, read the privacy policy, take control and realize what they're doing with your information. The second is, I know we had on a couple of weeks ago uh, somebody from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, go to their website, EFF.org. There's a lot of web uh, tools that they have. Uh, Privacy Badger is one. Uh, there's plugins for your browser like TrackMeNot. That help disable some of these things consider doing ad block uh, software on your phone and on uh, on your computers some news websites notably will not give you news if you have an ad block on you may want to create a, a per site exception or anything like that but the ad tracking you're not really a consumer of that stuff they just embed cookies in the website and then they see where you're going and not there are tools out there uh, we'll post some on social media such so you, uh, you can take a look at that but definitely look at the EFF website for some of their privacy stuff of privacy badger track me not ad blocking to really start reducing the amount of information that companies are trafficking about you uh, that you don't know about so stay tuned after this uh, we've got uh, another great interview coming up talking about some off the beaten path nations and how they're using hacking to try to compromise the united states and our companies so stay tuned for more this is Cybersecurity today
1: with john bambenek You're back with Bambinic on Cybersecurity.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Damanek. Right, last segment, we took your questions talking about uh, the movie The Circle coming up and uh, what you need to know about online privacy. Uh, we're going to ch- switch gears here a little bit and talk about uh, nation states and espionage and what uh, some smaller countries we haven't yet talked about are doing uh, to spy on the United States and spy on other countries. So joining us, we have Tim Johnson uh, from McClatchy. Uh, he is the National Security and cybersecurity correspondent. You can find him on Twitter at Tim Johnson4. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim.
0: Thanks very much, John.
2: All right. So you've uh, got some articles up recently uh, and doing some research. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, you know, some smaller countries. I I know we've we've talked on this show a lot about Russia and China uh, and they get a lot of press in terms of uh, of hacking and espionage. And certainly uh, with some of the stuff going on with elections, both the U.S. and now uh, France, Germany and the U.K., uh, certainly there's lots about uh, Russia in the headlines. But uh, what are you hearing about some of these other smaller countries that uh, we wouldn't necessarily think of?
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, for a lot of small countries watching what's going on in the cyber cyber sphere, they're realizing that getting uh, cyber units up and running is very efficient uh, uh use of their resources. It's a lot easier to try to hack into some other countries' uh networks and find out useful intelligence that way than actually getting human spies or or obviously launching satellites and mounting some big uh, Signals intelligence operation. So for very little money, they're, they're trying to hack into uh, uh, Gmail accounts and other uh, web mail of, of neighboring countries, adversaries. Uh, and we're seeing right now, just in the last couple of months, very intense offensive cyber activity between Pakistan and India, for example.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, I, I think definitely. I think one of the things that that struck me about about the the election related hacking was less of what it meant for the U.S. and Russia and more what it meant for all these other smaller countries. You mean thinking that that really, you know, for as much as we've talked about it, there wasn't a lot of sophistication or or, or tools or, or techniques needed. Right. It's uh, a piece of it was a Google fish password reset fish you know smaller countries can do that right india can do it to pakistan pakistan could, could do it to india uh, there's a lot of regional conflicts going on in the world uh, and a lot of uh, things you could do there for what north korea probably spends for an icbm that blows up on the pad you know tens of millions of dollars with a couple hundred thousand dollars of training you can you know train a pretty good solid operative to, to hack anywhere in the world and they're going to be doing it until they're captured and we're never going to capture them considering where they operate out of. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's definitely some interesting things. Um, you know, what what are the countries, I mean, India and Pakistan, you know, what, what do you hear about, uh, about other emerging powers in cyberspace?
0: Well, I hear it, there's a lot of activity in East Asia going on. I, I can't tell you uh, by name uh, countries, but I know that uh, Symantec, FireEye, mm-hmm. Kaspersky Lab—they're all mentioning this in reports in the last couple of weeks. That saying they're seeing a spike in activity. Um, it, it doesn't take—you know—you look at countries that do a lot of spying on their own uh, dissidents, uh, mm-hmm. especially if their dissidents are overseas. An uh, odd country, Ethiopia—they're they, known to uh, to do a lot of this cyber espionage of their own citizens. So presumably, they may be doing it for other. Uh, national security purposes. Uh, Malaysia has uh, a cyber unit up and running. Uh, presumably, well, we know Macedonia was very active uh, last fall. He, he, even in having sort of troll uh, armies uh, in our election, uh, Macedonia has been very active in the cybersphere. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Uh, the Middle East is, uh, you know, awash in all kinds of activity, uh, whether it's Iran and the Shamoon, uh, malware or, or other, other stuff. Dubai has been a constant target of uh, of cyber attacks, and so it wouldn't surprise me if UAE tries to hire, you know, I, I could use the word mercenary. I, they're not necessarily uh, the mercenaries, but uh, hire foreign talent to come in and, and set up defenses and maybe even some offense.
2: Mm-hmm. well no i not know they're, they, they've uh, they're certainly spending a lot of money right and, and hiring contentional uh tools and vendors to do a lot of protection i know that uh you know i've, I've seen some activity uh, there also but um and actually you know I, I often get recruiting emails here come live in saudi arabia and make ton of money tax-free <laughs> uh and i i somehow just don't think that's a good life decision with me and my five children and wife to say let's let's go to uh saudi arabia Re- to do cybersecurity.
0: yeah riyadh riyadh may not be the best choice for quality of life issues i imagine no,
2: no i i, I but, don't think so but anyway. you know
0: i i i think the, the broader issue is though that you know is is you often hear people say that it's you know the big leagues are of course the u.s uh Russia and China, and then uh, you got Britain and Israel a little further down, and North Korea and Iran, that, that league, that, those countries, uh, they're going to be a lot more before too long, just because between off-the-shelf stuff that one can buy in the dark web uh, and other things, uh, there's just a lot of countries have a great interest in this.
2: No, no, I think certainly that's definitely the case. And and yeah, it takes time and effort to train people, but uh, it takes a whole lot less time and uh, and money than it does to create a weapon system uh, that you can fire once and can get destroyed or whatever. Uh, It's people uh, that really uh, can make a difference in this space.
0: And you know, one other thing that uh, some people have pointed out to me is that,
2: you know, you get into
0: someone's email. Uh, their personal email, and it makes it a lot easier to determine their, you know, their interests, their weaknesses, if you are trying to recruit them as a spy. So uh, even small countries, if they can successfully hack personal emails of of adversaries, of, of, uh, uh, you know, politicians or others in a country that's considered an adversary, it increases their chances greatly that they can flip them and make
2: them into a spy. No, I think that's certainly true. Actually, we just talked a little bit about that as, you know, one of the things with Gmail now is nobody deletes email. Uh, So, you know, people keep things for 10, 15 years, and that could be remarkably valuable for an intelligence perspective or a variety of other things, even though the information has no use to whoever's storing it anymore.
0: Uh, I'm just looking at my email here. I got fifty thousand four hundred and five emails in there. I guess I should uh, start purging them, just uh, because uh, most people probably just don't purge their email very often.
2: No, no. I think I, in, in a lot of accounts that I have, I just have it delete if I don't save it to a folder. Delete it after one hundred eighty or one hundred seventy-five days, just because of yeah. the, the one hundred eighty-day rule and not being able to get to it without a without warrant. That's a good idea. Yep. So. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Tim. Uh, you can find more about uh, about his writing and his research at McClatchy and on Twitter at TimJohnson4. So thank you for joining us today, Tim. Thank you, John. Good to speak with you. So a lot of great information there, right? You know, some nations you never think of, of, uh, of engaging in hacking or doing so, getting into the market, uh, so to speak. Uh, There's an interesting story a couple weeks ago. Uh, that, you know, the uh, Nigerian government raided an apartment in the suburbs of Lagos, found $41 million U.S. uh, in there, turned out to be an apartment used by the head of uh, their intelligence service, who was uh, either suspended or fired, Uh, you know, says it was for, you know, valid operations or whatever. Uh, But as many of you know, there's there's a lot of uh, phishing and uh, business email compromise and things. Uh, You know, I'm a Nigerian general, you know, trying to get into your bank Account turns out the guy may have actually been a Nigerian general sending those emails all along, uh, but it, there's a lot of these small countries doing a lot of a lot of good work. But the real takeaway is, uh, I mean, it's certainly interesting to know what nation states are doing and intelligence agencies. But the criminal operators and the barrier of entry into the space to be able to commit crimes is very low. I can put you links on Twitter and on Facebook right now of where you can download uh, tools uh, to compromise whoever you want to do. Uh, Often uh, these tools are sold openly. Uh, If you look up Flexi Spy, it's a mobile app that you can put on somebody's phone. Uh, It's basically stalkerware, where if you want to stalk your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, You've got to find a way to get it on the phone. And then you could track their movements listening to their microphone. A lot of these tools are sold openly. You need a little bit of savvy and know how to use them but not that much. And it's easy uh, to get into the space uh, and it's very hard to prosecute. So, uh, But ultimately it comes down to you being vigilant, you being aware uh, of what criminals uh, are trying to do, how they deceive you and trick you to compromise uh, your own security because only you can protect yourself on the internet. That brings us to the end of our show. You can uh, connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash CyberSecRadio on Twitter at CyberSecRadio. Our website is CyberSecurity. Today radio.com. Stay tuned for next week. You've been listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Van Coming at you from AM 820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM 1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Hope you tune in next week for more cybersecurity news.